TCU football starts the season 0-1 after a 45-42 loss to the Colorado Buffaloes. What went wrong for the Horned Frogs on both sides of the football? That, plus a little basketball practice, some recruiting news from hoops and baseball as well. All coming up right now on Frogs Insider. Welcome into the Frogs Insider Podcast. I am Jamie Plunkett here along with Melissa Trebwasser. We are part of the Republic of Football Network, the podcasting network for te- uh, Dave Campbell's Texas Football. I am struggling today, yeah. Melissa, on this Labor Day Monday. I'm, I've edited out most, I think, of the retakes I had to do just for the simple cold open, but uh, here we are. I, it's good to know, I guess, that I'm in, in decent company on the struggle bus this weekend because TCU, uh, you know, TCU secondary specifically did not look great on Saturday against Colorado. I know we're going to get into all of that here yeah. in just a moment. But. I was going to say, normally you're you're a pretty effective two-way player, you know, in the <laughs> podcast and the writing, um, but you're not, this is not really a Travis Hunter performance from the start, JV, no, but that's no. okay. No, no, I've been overshadowed by Travis Hunter, as yeah. have so many, so yeah. many people on this planet in the last 48 to 72 hours. Uh, we'll definitely talk about him. I wrote about him a little bit in my Monday morning quarterback for 24-7 at hornfrogblitz.com. Um, he, he outshined any expectations I had for him. I think on the show last week, we both acknowledged how good of a player he was and, and what he was capable of. Uh, and he still uh, beat all of those expectations yeah. uh, by an impressive, impressive amount over hundred yards receiving on 11 catches. He also had an interception where he completely baited Chandler Morris into throwing a ball to what he thought was a wide open receiver. Um, and he played over 125 snaps which Sonny Dykes mentioned in his post-game press conference as well. But before we get into any of the details about the secondary or anything like that, Melissa, I just want to hear from you because you were in Fort Worth this weekend for the game. What was your initial reaction once the game was over on Saturday? Uh, I think the word is probably disappointment, but also resignation. Um, I, I think it was absolutely a disappointing performance, something that Sonny Dykes also mentioned in the post-game press conference that, you know, his team played like they thought they were too good to play Colorado and Colorado played like a team that wanted to play football a lot more. Uh, the energy was in stark contrast, which is not surprising in any sense. I mean, Deion Sanders hype train is real and he knows how to get those kids fired up and he was super effective. And from the moment they stepped foot into the tunnel and even the pregame speech, which we've now kind of seen all over social media, um, it was clear that this was a team that was excited about the opportunity to prove people wrong. Uh, TCU also should have been excited about the opportunity to prove people wrong coming off of that national championship game, coming off of a preseason, which they were picked to finish fifth. Um, and there's a lot of guys filling in for guys that are on in the NFL now and NFL rosters. Um, but that team was disengaged. Um, they did not play with any fire in their bellies. Like I can give all of the cliches, right? It, they did not look prepared to play both on the field, on the sideline, um, and, and even acknowledged as much, you know, at the post-game press conference. Um, and then the resignation part of that is, Every concern that I had going into the season that I had talked myself out of over the course of fall camp came to roost in a, in a very real way um, that 
you know, Chandler Morris is, is, you know, the, the oldest young quarterback in college football. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he's the least experienced 23 year old in the game. Right. Uh, or 22, however old he is. I have no idea how old he is, but um, you know, that, that Quentin Johnston was as special as we thought he was. And that guy does not exist on this team um, that uh, there are a, that replacing a Thorpe award winner isn't just as easy as putting a guy who's a little bit taller and a little bit bigger and a little bit, you know, more highly touted as a recruit. You can't just stick that guy opposite, you know, in his spot and have everything come, come together. Um, The secondary was beyond disappointment because of how many guys were returning, but everything else looked like a team that replaced NFL caliber talent at some key positions. So I want to point out uh, two numbers that stood out to me from this defensive effort on Saturday that I think are really important Could, to understanding. Maybe, maybe effort <clears throat> isn't the word, but okay. Defensive <laughs> attempt, I guess. Okay, uh, yeah, that's... So the first one is 18. It's the number of missed tackles CCU had on defense on Saturday. You can debate whether they were forced by Colorado or if it was bad form by TCU. I'm going to go ahead and cut the difference and say it was a little bit of both. Uh, because Colorado does have excellent skill uh, skill players uh, on the outside, especially at receiver. That true freshman running back, uh, Dylan Edwards, was also phenomenal. He had four touchdowns on the day. Um, God, consistent. He had, four. he had a rushing touchdown and three receiving touchdowns. Colorado had Colorado had four receivers with over 100 yards yeah. on the day as well. And uh, the missed tackles were were predominantly in the first quarter, but they also set a tone for the day. TCU consistently got to the point of attack well in the first quarter, Um, but then their feet stopped moving and they were trying to grab people with their arms. They weren't finishing Mm -hmm. tackles and that allowed Colorado to on the day go nine for 15 on third down, which is just an unbelievable number. At one point they were seven of 10 on third down going into the fourth quarter. Um, and they found themselves consistently in good shape on third down. Colorado did third and three, third and four. Uh, and Shadur Sanders did an excellent job uh, of getting the ball out quickly into the flats where TCU just seemed They're mud. not not interested in covering. Uh, Dylan Edwards had uh, five catches on the day, none of which were more than maybe 10 yards downfield. I would say three to four were either at the line of scrimmage or behind it. And he had 135 yards yeah. and three touchdowns on the day. Well, TCU even was when... just not able to cover the flats. And when they got out to the flats, they missed tackles. And it was it was just a bad overall tackling performance. And even when they did create third and long situations, which there were quite a few early, it felt like, Shadur Sanders had no problem picking apart that TCU secondary. And I might've just jumped on what you wanted to talk about, but like that to me was the most frustrating part of these third down, that's third down performance is even when it was third and 12, it was Mm -hmm. no problem for this Colorado offense. And the the next number I want to talk to is the reason that it wasn't a problem is because TCU had uh, just could not get pressure on Shadur Sanders Mm -hmm. at all. They had five quarterback pressures on the day. Wow. Uh, three were sacks, right? Caleb Fox, Paul Oyewale, and Johnny Hodges all recorded sacks for the Frogs on Saturday, but they had five d- quarterback pressures on the day, um, seven tackles for loss in all. Uh, there was just no movement up front by this three-man defensive line to get any kind of pressure on Shadur Sanders. 
they didn't blitz nearly as much as I thought they would. You know, mm-hmm. last year we talked a lot about how this three three five stack is really good because you can bring pressure from a lot of different angles and a lot of different places and kind of keep an offensive line and a quarterback off guard. We saw very little of that on Saturday afternoon, uh, especially when TCU would reclaim the lead, which they did multiple times throughout the afternoon, uh, just to give up a touchdown pretty quickly thereafter and lose the lead again. It felt like the defense was dropping eight a lot and still not covering well. It felt like they weren't trying to get a ton of pressure. They were they were allowing the defensive line to, to try and create that pressure, and, and they just weren't getting it done. Um, and when you combine those two things, not getting pressure on a quarterback, missing tackles when the ball's in, in skilled players' hands, uh, you know that's a recipe for disaster, and that's why Colorado had 565 total yards of offense and 45 points against this defense. Yeah. And this is this is – becoming a little bit of a concern because when you date back to the Fiesta Bowl, the, the second half of the Fiesta Bowl, TCU has allowed 149 points in the last 10 quarters of play. Hmm. And they don't have a D winners to bail them out. Like you mentioned, they don't have a Trey, Trey Hodges Tomlinson to bail them out. They don't have a Dylan Horton along the defensive line to bail them out. You've got to find some guys who are capable of being, you know, impact players on this side of the ball, or it's going to be a very long season for TCU's defense. I think that the, inability well and this is what i don't understand is we we knew the secondary was going to give up plays right like that's i mean that's kind of you're going to play good quarterbacks you're going to give up plays right but the fact that one thing that we talked about extensively through fall camp was that we knew that the pass rush was going to struggle especially early but we thought the secondary could hold up this secondary could not hold up whatsoever Mm -hmm. um josh newton who we believe is a potential all-american caliber player and certainly an all-conference caliber player got cooked now he got cooked by an elite talent in travis hunter who if if this kid continues to play you know i think we talked about this after the game at 80 percent of this level all season it's gonna win the heisman i mean unquestionably will find himself in new york as a finalist um but still like it's not like the competition is going to get a lot easier in the conference when you talk about quarterbacks that can hit open receivers and receivers that can get open easily. Uh, there's a lot of reason to be concerned if things don't dramatically change from week one to week three. I, I agree. I mean, you travel down to Houston in two weeks. They won against UTSA to a open their UTSA. season. Uh, and that was a nice game. That was a good defensive effort from both yeah. teams. I think Houston ended up winning that game 17 to 14, something Correct. along those lines. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see how TCU handles, uh, you know, a hostile environment, first conference game for Houston. Uh, there's a lot uh, of emotion on the Houston side of things. And that was something that Sonny Dykes mentioned in postgame was a problem for TCU. And you mentioned it too. You know, this team looked flat early on against Colorado and it never really improved as far as demeanor went, as far as energy went from the TCU sideline. Meanwhile, Colorado was completely hyped up to play this game. Yeah. And I find it difficult to understand how a team can come out flat week one against a power five opponent with as much hype around them as Colorado had a record crowd, uh, 53,000 plus in the stands, uh, big noon kickoff in town for the game. Um, Just all of that is a little, a little concerning to me that, that you couldn't get up for this game, especially after the way the national championship game went. Um, And I saw this clip kind of going around, Melissa. It's this old Mike Leach clip from the locker room against Texas Tech. Uh, I think it was after they lost to Baylor. It was the year after 
Michael Crabtree graduated mm-hmm. and they had beaten number one ranked Texas in Lubbock and everything like that there. I think they were an 11 win team that year or something. And he said something along the lines. I, I'm, I can't obviously say word for word what he said, um, but uh, he said something along the lines of, you know, a lot of you guys in this room right now think that the 11 wins last year mean something this year. A lot of you think that you had something to do with all of the catches that Michael Crabtree had or all of the passes that Graham Harrell made. And he started listing all of these guys that made that team the year prior an 11 win team. Uh, And he goes, all the calls I played are all the, all the plays I called last year are last year. All the plays that anybody in this room made last year are last year. And I wonder if we, dismissed the possibility that a lot of the guys that played on this TCU team last year thought that, you know, things would continue to go the way they did last year because, you know, TCU won 13 games and we made it to the college football playoff and all this other stuff. When in reality, just like Colorado showed everybody on Saturday last year has absolutely nothing to do with this year. Um, And so, you know, I, I think that, there's a lot to be concerned about. I think that there's a lot to be disappointed about in this week one performance from TCU. But I also think it's really important to understand that this is only week one. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and I was, I, while I obviously was disappointed in the results on Saturday, I found myself appreciative of the way Sonny Dykes spoke in the postgame press mm-hmm. conference and his demeanor in that because he was very clearly agitated by the loss. He was not hesitant to name all of the things that he thought went wrong on Saturday. He and took, people. And people. By name. By name and by side of the ball. And he took responsibility as well. Um from a motivation standpoint and from a preparedness standpoint, he says, we weren't prepared. We came out flat and all of that's on me. Um, so he took responsibility. He identified the issues that he saw on the field Saturday. And then he, he made no doubt about it, that they were going to do their best to get that fixed starting on Sunday afternoon. So, um, you know, they have a, they have a, a game coming up this week in Nichols that will hopefully allow them to get a lot of this stuff sorted out before they travel down to Houston. Um, and, and I guess we'll just kind of have to wait and see for two weeks now if this team has really figured out some of the stuff that went wrong on Saturday. Look, it's just one game. It's not a conference game. You know, it, it has no bearing on whether or not TCU can have a successful season. You know, at the end of the day, I, I think we might be looking back and Colorado could well be a bowl team. I mean, they have a tough, tough schedule, but belief mm-hmm. is a powerful thing as we saw a season ago in Fort Worth, right? Belief is a powerful thing. Um, and so I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put a, make it a bowl game uh, past this program, but I also think we've talked about this going into the season. And I think it brings even more true now year two for Sunny Dykes is critically important foundationally. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're going to be a flash in a, ba- a pan and, and regress from 13 wins to six, you know, that, that's good. That could be a problem. I don't know that it will be, but it could be a problem uh, when you, and, and I know we're going to touch on this a little bit and that, that you're written a ton about it this week on, on Horn Frog Blitz. But when you literally sell out your recruiting seats and you have all those kids visiting TCU and watching Colorado, like that's a big, it's a big deal. Right. And mm-hmm. and for TC to capitalize on the positive momentum of a season ago, 
they have to have a a level of success this year that to me is in that kind of like, I think eight wins is kind of that magic number. Eight wins lets people know that you haven't fallen backwards too much, that yeah, you were replacing a lot, but you haven't regressed. You're continuing to build. Um, and I don't think that, that, I mean, it was a close game. It was an entertaining game. It was a fun game, especially from the offensive side, the people from the outside. You know, I had a lot of people apologizing to me you know, like I was at the airport and I was wearing TCU stuff because win or lose, I'm going to wear TCU stuff. And um, this guy is like, oh man, like, I'm so sorry about that game. I was rooting for you guys, but wow, what a game, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, listen, like I saw my team play in the national championship. I saw my team win a Fiesta Bowl. I saw my team play for a big 12 championship. Like I'm good. I, I expected us to take a step back, but like, I I'd still like, yeah, it sucks. Like it sucks. And I'm so sorry that basically what TCU has done is put the prime hype train on overdrive for the next week. And like, we've subjected the rest of college football to nothing but Deion Sanders talk for the next six days. Right. Like that's, that's kind of the worst part of all of this. And like, he he's earned it like by all means, Deion soak it in. But um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's disappointing, like you said, but there's still a lot of season to play. If they come back and they beat Houston and they beat SMU everything is back right with the world. Right. But I think what, what the reality is for TCU fans now is that we have to look back and say, Houston is not going to be a gimme and SMU sure as heck isn't going to be a gimme. And Mm -hmm. you lose those two games. Now you're looking at a season that could go completely off the rails before the blink of an eye. Yeah. And you mentioned the recruits that were there. I mean, TCU had uh, one of the best recruits in the state, present for this game on Saturday, D. Allen Everett. Uh, Does he play offense or defense, JB? He's a defensive lineman. <laughs> oh, and boy. D. Allen uh, Evans, who's currently committed to Texas A&M, was um, on the field, or I guess present for uh, for that game on Saturday, um, along with a, a handful of other really good 2024 recruits. Wish they would have suited him up. Suited him up. A lot of a lot of these kids have Colorado offers as well. A lot of these kids, like uh, Evans, are, are committed other places or are hearing from other places in the state. And uh, this was an opportunity to kind of put your best foot forward on a national stage, and it it, it didn't happen in a lot of ways, um, which is disappointing for sure. But I want to move uh, to the other side of the ball. Before we do that, though, Melissa, I do want to give a shout out to one of our sponsors here on the show, Hell's Half Acre Sporting Goods. Uh, love our partnership with them. Uh, very thankful for their support of our show. Um, Hell's Half Acre is a brand that was created with horn frogs in mind. Each item that they sell from polos to shirts, to hats, to hoodies, to koozies, uh, all makes a direct impact on TCU student athletes. You can check out all of their gear at hellshalfacresg.com. Um, like I said, shirts, polos, hats, all kinds of home goods that Hell's Half Acre has all of the TCU stuff that you need to get you ready for game day. I saw quite a few folks in the stands yeah. on Saturday, Melissa, wearing their new football polo, which was pretty cool to see. Um, it's a great shirt, dry fit, which was perfect for the heat out okay. there because it was hot Awful. again on Saturday. Awful. I know you were down on the field taking photos for the majority of the game, and I saw something around, it got up to close to 130 degrees on the field down there. Yeah, it uh, felt like pretty it. hot stuff. I'm not going to talk about the places that I was sweating. Like we're just not like I like when I got back up to the press box um, the first time I was like, oh, this shirt was a lighter purple when the day started. Yeah, it's going to leave that there. Yeah, you're welcome. It It was it was awful. Like I will say and that that again, that just pissed me off so much. 
that it was miserable on the field. And somehow that became an advantage for the team that plays in one of the most perfect climates in the United States. Yeah. Uh, Sonny Dykes mentioned this too. After the game on Saturday, Travis Hunter played over 125 snaps, seemed to have no problem playing that many snaps in this kind of heat and making a difference for his team. Meanwhile, Amani Bailey is the guy that, you know, got called out a little bit in, yeah. in post game because he was cramping up in that last drive and wasn't on the field. And this is kind of where I want to transition into the offensive side of the ball. Imani Bailey had 164 rushing yards on 14 yeah. carries for TCU on Saturday was a difference maker from the jump. And he wasn't available on the final drive, yeah. which stalled out near midfield uh, and ultimately lost TCU the, the football game. Um, because he was cramping up and Sonny had some choice words to say after that, simply that, you know, Travis Hunter didn't seem to have a problem with it, but we had guys cramping up. Uh, he said, we take a lot of pride in our strength and conditioning yeah. and nutrition um, here. And it let us down today. And that, those are, that, that's just an example of how upfront and straightforward Sonny Dykes was in his post-game press conference. He was not letting anyone escape criticism, including himself for the way that TCU played on Saturday. But Offensively, they scored 42 points. The Frogs had over 500 yards of offense. They looked really good at times uh, and other times stalled out partially because of Chandler Morris's play, partially because there were some receivers who uh, we expected a lot from who just didn't really show up on the day. Savion Williams comes to mind. He had two catches for six yards on, I believe it was six targets on the day. Um but let's start with Imani Bailey and the running game, and then we'll kind of move on from there. Melissa Bailey with 164 yards on the ground. Trey Sanders with three rushing touchdowns on the day. The running game looked really, really good. I was really impressed with with the work the offensive line did up front and opening up running lanes. And, you know, again, like we're, we have every reason to pile on TC's defense, but Colorado's defense left a lot to be desired too. The difference was they came up with big game-changing plays, the plays that TCU made a season ago, right? Like that, mm -hmm. that was the difference is they had the big moments TCU did not. Um, but I thought the offensive line was, was really good in the running game. They opened up great holes. Amani Bailey and Trey Sanders both, I thought had great vision and patience. I mean, Amani obviously is a game breaker with that speed. He did get chased down from behind by Travis Hunter on that mm -hmm. 74 yard touchdown uh, or a 74 yard run that ultimately led to a red zone interception. That was uh, the same drive that Trey or that uh, Hunter had the pick. Right. I think yep. so. So that is it. That's a big moment in that game for Hunter, who at 125 plus snaps chasing a guy down on a 74 yard run is is. Again, that dude's special. Um, sucks. I hate him, but um, it's was, it was pretty cool to watch that. Watch that in person, to be honest. Future, um, future Dallas Cowboy Travis. Yeah, Hunter. it's. I mean, it's destiny at this point, right? Dion yeah. is his mentor. It's destiny. Uh, you know, that could also make him a, a 49 or a Falcon, though. So yeah, it's just Dallas Cowboy. <laughs> um, so you know, but uh, Trey Sanders. It was. I, I think the biggest is. Other than the loss, the biggest disappointment for me was that Trey Sanders did not get more spotlight for scoring three touchdowns, matching his career total uh, coming back from those injuries. Uh, him in the red zone, awesome, outstanding, love it, want to see more. Red zone, short yardage. I thought he was a, a great weapon for the Horn Frogs. Uh, not the guy that you want in the backfield on the final drive of the game because he doesn't have that game-breaking ability. But I think that used correctly – he has a chance. We talked about him as the guy that could lead TCU in touchdowns, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I think he's off to a great start with that. Um, and I think in short yardage, he he's a really great guy to have on the field because he's always going to get you two or three yards. 
you know, so now can the TCU offense get you two or three yards? That's something we, we have yet to, to know, but uh, some, some concerning, it's also a little bit concerning. Like they did run the ball a ton, but situationally choosing to pass. I, I mean, I was having like new England Patriots, Seattle Seahawks flashback vibes a couple of times where it's like, man, like you're running the ball down Colorado's throat. Don't try to get too cute with it. And then on the other side of that, when you have an opportunity to be creative, where where was that creativity that we were promised to see all fall camp? Yeah, you know, you mentioned it already, Imani Bailey with the 74-yard run that got them down to the Colorado 23, roughly. I mean, that, that brought them out of the shadow of their own end zone. It was a huge yeah. run for him. Uh, TCU ran the ball the next two plays for nine yards to get to third and one, and they chose not to continue running the ball, which just gained them 80 yards of offense in three plays um, on third and one, they decide to go with a little bit of a wheel route to major Everhart out of the backfield. And this is the play where Travis Hunter uh, simply because of his elite athleticism was able to back off of the route, make Chandler Morris think that it was an open player, which most of the time that route in that situation is going to be pretty significantly open. Uh, and then he jumped it at the last moment and intercepted the football uh, pretty much right at the goal line to give Colorado the ball. And that prevented TCU from taking the lead in that moment, which was a pretty big turning point yeah. for for that game for Colorado in, in their favor. Um, you're right. And uh, so this was a back and forth affair, especially in the second half when TCU's offense did start to click a little bit better. Um, unfortunately, Colorado's offense also started to click a lot better. Uh, Shadur Sanders, I believe, had 300 passing yards in the second half alone um, and uh, just was was putting the ball wherever he wanted to, regardless of coverage, right? There were definitely some moments where TCU secondary completely broke coverage. Guys open out in the flats. Bud Clark was uh, bamboozled at one point. Yeah. Uh, there was a, he, he lost track of his guy over the middle of the field and was probably 15 to 20 yards away from him when he caught a, a pass in the end zone. Um, but there were other moments where the frogs were in a good spot. Avery Helm and Josh Newton were both in good coverage at times. Um, Shooter Sanders just made a better throw and the receiver made a better yeah. play. Uh, there was not a single 50, 50 ball that went in TCU's favor, yeah. uh, from a secondary to, to Colorado's wide receiver standpoint on Saturday, Colorado was very good with the 50, 50 balls. TCU simply was not, um, but back to the offense, uh, you know, I think outside of the run game, you know, we saw, a Chandler Morris who at times looked really rattled mm -hmm. at times um, I think tried to do a little bit too much. You know, one of the plays that stands out to me was actually in the first half where he rolls out to his right. Uh, he probably has seven, eight yards on the ground to put him in a second and short situation. And instead, he gets to the line of scrimmage and he forces a throw into double coverage that becomes an incompletion. Uh, that happened a couple times on Saturday. And you have to ask the question, okay, you know, yes, he's got uh, a lot of uh, practice experience. Yes, he's, he's an older kid for being only qualified, you know, qualified as a sophomore. Uh, he's the son of a coach. At some point, though, game experience has to teach you what you can and can't do. And so we saw this a little bit from Chandler um, two years ago. We saw it a little bit in the first half against Colorado last year, where it seems like at times he's not getting through his reads quickly enough, which led to an interception on Saturday. 
uh, when he had Jared Wiley open in the end zone, but didn't get the ball to him in time and the safety drifted over and picked it off. And at other times he he's trying to be the hero when he just needs to be the quarterback. And I don't know what the threshold for experience is for him to kind of work those, work those traits out of his system. Um, because if that doesn't happen, then TCU is going to continue to be inconsistent on offense. Now, offense isn't the reason that they lost the game on Saturday, at least yeah. in my opinion. And that's in spite of the fact that Chandler threw two interceptions in the red zone and Griffin Kell missed a 42-yard field goal. Losing by three points and having those things happen, you can obviously point to that and say, well, if they had converted at least nine points on those three possessions, things might have gone differently. But with as bad as the defense was, that was kind of the clear reason for why TC lost this football game. When you think about Chandler Morris's performance, though, Melissa, what am I missing as far as that evaluation goes? So looking at, I think that you nailed kind of Chandler Morris. Like, it's hard to blame the offense. Like I said, it's not the offense's fault that TCU lost, but I still think that there were a lot of things left to be desired on the offensive side of the ball as far as having a rhythm and getting um, getting the, the defense having to make decisions and think um, in a way that um, the, the creativity that we are promised. But if you look at Chandler's day overall, um, really, really heavy in the middle of the field. He was effective in the middle of the field. Um, he, he had a pretty decent completion percentage. But again, you're only looking at, like you talked about how Colorado really exposed the TCU defense in the flats. TCU did not, I don't think, use the flats as sideline enough on, on Saturday. Um, the majority of his pass attempts um, were, were into the middle of the field. Um, most of them were, uh, you know, on shorter targets. They did try to, to, they did attempt six balls of over 20 yards, but they only had one completion of that. Um, most of the completions, 12 out of his uh, 17 completions, or 12 completions and 17 attempts came on short, short, uh, short uh, routes, zero to nine yards. So, which again, tells me that that's where he was most comfortable eight of not he had eight completions and nine attempts behind the line of scrimmage nine attempts behind the line of scrimmage seems to be a little egregious um in, in that situation the offensive line did a pretty good job of keeping him clean he was he was clean on 68 percent of his dropbacks um so on 32 uh 32 attempts 29 of those ended up being passing plays he only completed 19 of those um and he was not blitzed uh 72 percent of the time so Colorado was just able to sit back and, and just kind of wait on Chandler to not make a play. It's, it's kind of what that gives me the vibe of is I don't think that they had a lot of concern that he was going to torch them with his feet, which you mentioned that there were opportunities for him to run and he didn't. We, we, I think we all talked about that after the game was we understand we want to keep the guy healthy, but at the same time, Colorado was giving him running lanes as he, he was not taking them. Um, but, and they also did not feel like that they had to add pressure or blitz in order to um, keep TCU's offense from matriculating down the field effectively. So the two red zone interceptions are absolutely killer, obviously, but at the same time, I think that, that there were a lot of plays left on the field that could have captured momentum or put in TCU in a position to, to make Colorado play catch up because they weren't ever playing catch up. They were either in the lead or within one score, the entirety of the game. And so it was TCU that was kind of des- could not get the stop at the end, but then also had plenty of time to get a game winning drive and, and could not execute that either. Because again, just, missed reads, missed opportunities, um, guys open down the field that would have been maybe a second or third read that he never got his eyes shifted to. And then there wasn't anything in the pre-snap 
that made the Colorado defense think there was not a ton of motion. There was not a lot of movement. Um, there, there wasn't anything um, outside of the ordinary. It was just kind of lining up and, and playing offense, which can be really fine and really effective when you have a unit on the same page, but this was not a unit that was executing at a super high level throughout the majority of the game, despite the fact they put up over 500 yards of offense and 42 points. Which means at least that's the signal to me that there's a lot, that this offense can build upon Mm -hmm. after week one, because there were some really good things. I was very impressed with uh, Jared Wiley and JP Richardson in this game, both of whom had six catches. Jared had a phenomenal catch in the end zone for a touchdown um, on a pass that was a little up above his head. And he, he managed to go up and make a really good play on it. Um, And, you know, I liked what I saw uh, from Warren Thompson and Dalen Wright as well. Dalen, obviously, with two catches for 44 yards and a touchdown. Uh, Warren Thompson just with one catch, but he was able to find his way open a couple of other times and was just kind of missed downfield by Mm -hmm. Chandler Morris. Just Either he didn't see him or he had already made another read and gone in a different direction with the ball. Um, but that's definitely something that they'll talk about when they look at film from this game is, hey, there were opportunities to find more open wide receivers. But like you mentioned, Chandler seemed to at times kind of lock in on a receiver uh, and force the ball into double coverage, or he locked in for too long on one guy and then was late getting his reads out. And, and that's what led to one of his other interceptions as well. Um and so there's, there's a lot to build on from this offense, but there are definitely things to cr- critique as, as you move forward. But the reality, Melissa, is that right now this team is 0-1, but they've got a really good opportunity on Saturday to get to 1-1. They're playing an FCS opponent in Nichols uh, and to start to work out some of the, the things that were really an issue on Saturday against Colorado. This is the perfect opportunity to get back to work and to start to fix all of the issues that we saw. Yeah, and, and the talent is still there. I mean, you you mentioned uh, J.P. Richardson, Jared Wiley, both had great games. Jack Besh, I think, mm-hmm. is a great matchup problem for an opposing defense. Like, that's a great tool for, for Kendall Bryles in this offense to be able to deploy. He had a great game as well, didn't put up huge stats, but if you can match him up against the safety, it's really, really hard for a safety to defend a guy with that size and that speed. So um, the tools are there. I, I would hope they'd open up the playbook a little bit more, um, even against Nichols, because you've got to develop some rhythm. And I, I want to see some of that creativity we were promised. Um, I think one area of concern is who is the leader on this offense. Mm-hmm. Um, we saw we saw Savion Williams do a lot of talking on Saturday, and he was involved in a lot of the kind of post post play scuffles. Um, but didn't didn't make the plays right. Like that's supposed to be your alpha on the wide receiving unit, and I think that that he did not take hold of that role. And it's something that he's had the opportunity to take hold of for the last three years and, and hasn't done, but we thought with Quentin Johnson and, and Tay and, and Darius, you know, off to the NFL, that he would be the natural next guy to step up. He's got some work to do, I think, to earn that role. Jared Wiley, I think was, was great, as you mentioned, both as a leader and, and an emotional leader, but um, the rest of this offense just kind of went through the motions. It felt like, and, and while they did score, while they did move the ball, um, they didn't play with a lot of fire, um, you know, just like the defense did. And when they had an opportunity a couple of times to make big plays, to, to put the game away, to steal momentum back from the Buffaloes, they were unable to kind of execute in the, that big play scenario um, and, and make those kind of step on your neck kind of plays that we saw this TCU offense do time and time again a season ago. But as you mentioned, it's a completely different season. These mm-hmm. are completely different players. And, you know, it, you, it's hard to overstate how impactful a guy like Max Duggan a guy like Tay Barber can be on a field and in a locker room. 
and I wrote about this immediately following Saturday's loss. I'm really curious to see how the wide receivers shake out in the end, mm-hmm. because it, it seems like there are a lot of guys who have the ability to contribute to an offense. Um, but like you mentioned, at some point you have to figure out a hierarchy and the only way that you can really do that is when a guy goes out and establishes himself mm-hmm. as that top dog. Quentin Johnson did that with ease while he was here. Jalen Rager did that uh, as well. Josh Doxson did that, right? Like we've seen what a true wide receiver one looks like time and time again in this offense. And at least on Saturday, you know, the closest thing to a wide receiver one was probably JP Richardson. Yeah. And He's a great receiver, and we both picked him to lead the team in receptions this season. So the fact that he had six for 63 doesn't really surprise me at all. And he had nine targets on the day, too. So that's helpful. Um, But, I mean, we're talking about a slot receiver versus a big outside wide receiver who can go down the field and make big plays, who can go up for those 50-50 balls and really be not only a deep threat, but uh, a dominant big receiver who – attracts a lot of attention from opposing defenses. Um, there's a big, there's a big difference in the influence that, that a big outside receiver mm-hmm. has versus a guy who's really effective in the slot. And if TCU is lacking that outside receiver, it's, it's going to be a struggle sometimes for this team in the passing game. Well, I think the thing we know about JP is I think he's going to have six for 60 to 80 yards pretty much every week, mm-hmm. but that's not going to win you a lot of football games. Like you need the rely it's it's he's the Tay Barber, right? Like he's right. gonna make big plays, but but he's not the game breaker. He's not the guy that's gonna get that 60 yard touchdown that's gonna get the momentum and get things rolling. He's not the guy that that you can throw a 20 yard fly route to on first and 10 when you're, you know, on your own 15. Like you need that guy as well, because that's what opens it up for the middle. And I love the slot receivers TCU has. I love the way that they are using the tight end, Jared Wiley specifically. But if you don't get that game breaker on the outside, it's going to be a long season for the Horn Frogs offense. They they still might put up 30 points a game pretty regularly, but with this defense, 30 points a game probably isn't getting it done very often. Yeah, it's going to be a challenge. It's definitely going to be a challenge. And, you know, again, like we said earlier in the show, this is just the first game. And so yeah. there's a lot of opportunity left for TCU to make some improvements on what was, you know, overall a disappointing start, but not a completely hopeless and lost start in my opinion um there were there were some positive things on both sides of the ball like you mentioned the offensive line looked really good um i thought namdi obiezor had a pretty good game one as a linebacker as well um a lot to learn there and you know there's some some critiques of the linebacking unit i think that we can get into in a future episode if we see some some things continue but um there are some building blocks here for tcu to still have a, a a decent to really good season and it just, it, it all starts, I think, with the energy that they bring yeah. to the practice fields this week um, and the understanding that last year has no bearing on this year. Well, and I, I think one other thing that we have to keep in mind when we evaluate the offense is this is one of probably the two or three worst defenses that TCU is going to play all season too. Because mm-hmm. as much as Colorado turned things around in a season, that defense still is not very good. <laughs> but yeah. like, I, I mean, they were good enough, right? But good enough just meant they had to hold a team to 42. So um, yeah, I, I, but, but I think you're right. I think we've got a lot of evaluating to do. September is, is going to be a long month. Um, Nichols, again, should be a get right game. But then you look at Houston and SMU and, and all of a sudden your feet are right back to the fire. So it's all going to get, it's all going to determine, be determined on the practice field. And, it, and yep. this team came out one of two ways on Sunday. 
They either came out pissed off and fired up and wanted to hit each other, or they came out and and didn't. And so we'll find out, you know, we'll start to see a little bit of it Saturday night, which way they came out. I think we'll know for sure when they travel to Houston, what's actually going to happen. Um, mm-hmm. Speaking of travel, you ready for this one? Are you ready sure. for this segue? Speaking of travel, Home Field Apparel can help you time travel back mm. some of your favorite TCU logos throughout the decades um, from some of the creepiest and weirdest frogs that you've ever seen in the most delightful way. The sweater frog with the pennant is one of my absolute favorites. Um, Homefield Apparel makes some of the coolest and most fun TCU and other collegiate apparel around. Uh, they also make some of the softest hoodies. You are wearing your big sky hoodie, which you love to brag on. It is a delightful, delightful hoodie. So comfortable. Uh, so comfortable. Um, hoodies, quarter zips, joggers, t-shirts, of course. Uh, bomber jackets. I can't wait for my TCU bomber jacket to, to arrive. Um, and not just for TCU, but for a lot of your favorite Big 12 and other universities across the United States. We appreciate Home Field Apparel being a sponsor of not just the Frogs Insider podcast, but many of the podcasts and all of the podcasts on the Republic of Football Network as part of the Dave Campbell's Texas Football Podcast Network. Um, And we love that they not only support us, but they allow us to get you guys a discount on some of their great apparel. So if you use the code FROGSIN15, F-R-O-G-S-I-N-1-5, you will get 15% off of your first purchase with Home Field Apparel and 10% off any subsequent purchases with the good brand. So thank you, Home Field Apparel, for being a sponsor and for um, really just having absolute no respect for um, my uh, bottom line in my checkbook mm-hmm. um, or my overall financial health and well-being because every time you release something new TCU, I'm compelled to buy it. And because their quality is good, their products aren't cheap, but they are well, well worth it. They see everybody else's bank accounts and they say, we want those to be our bank account. No. Yes. And, and, and I give, and we give I'm them. To willingly. Them. I'm willing to to turn over a good, good chunk of change for, for stuff like this hoodie because it's incredibly comfortable. Um, Melissa, let's move on from football though. We've, we've touched on, I think enough of what went wrong on Saturday and talked a little bit about the positives, but we also had an opportunity on Saturday morning before the football game to go and take in a TCU basketball practice. It was alumni weekend for the basketball team. They had their annual alumni event on Friday night out at Joe T. Garcia's. Uh, uh, over 100 former basketball players were in attendance, I was told, which is just really, really cool to really see cool. um, all of these former uh, players coming back and supporting the current team. They were pretty much all at practice on Saturday morning as well, which made it a, a fun atmosphere taking in the frogs playing uh, a little bit of five on five, doing some other work, you know, rebounding and fast break drills and defensive drills and, and all this other kind of stuff. We won't talk about the shooting drills. We won't talk about them. Maybe not. Well, we can talk about one guy who I think is your favorite player all of a sudden, but uh, there were also some recruits on, uh, on campus who took in practice. I had a chance to chat with them and all that stuff's going to be up on hornfrogblitz.com this week. Um, But Melissa, you know, you uh, you have a new favorite basketball player, it seems. You were pretty giddy when you saw Trey Tennyson just stop oh and transition and, and drill a couple threes in a row. Uh, it's just like, I you know, I obviously like love Desmond Bain and, and love him as a shooter. I and mean, he is one of, if not my all-time favorite TCU basketball player and one of my all-time favorite TCU athletes. But everybody knows Desmond Bain's shot form is broke. It works for him. It's great. It is funky. The basketball coach at B loves nothing more than a shooter who looks like a shooter and then finishes a shot. And oh my God, Trey Tennyson, it's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen on a TCU basketball court. It is a picture perfect release. I mean, when you talk about beef 
right? Balance, elbow, eyes, follow through, like the stuff I've been teaching since I was 16 years old to kids. Uh, that <laughs> is, he is the picture of perfection when it comes to shot form. I mean, that thing gets up in the pocket, like the release is perfect. It's so quick. Yeah, it's it. I yes, I'm in love. Um, not like in that way because obviously I'm a very old woman. But um, yeah, he it, it is. I I'm in love. I'm obsessed. I'm so excited to watch this kid play. Um, so fired up about just watching that team play on Saturday morning. Period. Um, everything that we talked about TCU football not having on the sidelines, TCU basketball had in practice. There was emotion. There was energy. There's a real camaraderie around that group. They give each other so much crap, like in the best possible way. They are talking to each other up and down the floor. They There's a lot of bragging rights in practice. They've been playing together. You and I talked about this during practice, that this is a team that's had to play against each other for so long because of that international trip. But they seem to really enjoy practice. Um, they enjoyed being out there. And this team is big. They're athletic. There's still some shooting concerns outside of Trey Tennyson. Like that's still like watching a, the uncontested three-point drill. I was like, we still have some work to do in that area, but I think they look a lot better than they did a season ago. And Chuck, Chuck mm-hmm. wasn't out there on Saturday. So True. that, that impacts things too. But um, when you look at how fast the pace of play, how interchangeable some of these parts are uh, there, there's a lot to be excited about for TC basketball this season. I loved seeing the way that Jameer Nelson jr. Ran, uh, ran that, that team on offense. Um, Avery Anderson looks like, like he can do so many things well. And then uh, Emmanuel Miller uh, it just was awesome. Um, the other guy, I think you have a favorite player on this team uh, yeah. that I had not gotten to see in person yet um, because he's a true freshman. And oh my God, I have not seen a true freshman like this at TCU in basketball, maybe ever. So I've talked a couple times on on the show about what TCU basketball was going to end up doing with their 13th scholarship because they had a couple guys in the portal that they were chasing. They were looking for a fourth guard to pair with Jameer Nelson, Tennyson, and Avery Anderson. Um, there were some thoughts that maybe Tyler Lundblade would end up getting that 13th scholarship. He was a walk-on for TCU last year after transferring in from SMU. Uh, but Jace Posey is a guy who I'm uh, fairly convinced is working his way into minutes for this team mm-hmm. this year. Um, and he put a lot of his athleticism on display Saturday. Uh, there were two, two plays that, that I think stood out to both of us. The first one was, uh, his uh, ball in hand at the top of the key. He moves around a defender, works off of a screen. And then just like that, he's at the rim. He's got a, he's got a bucket. He draws the foul. He hits the, I don't think he made the free throw. We talked about maybe the free throws are are, are going to, he's going to grow in that area. Uh, but his athleticism, his ability to get to the rim was really impressive against, uh, I believe it was Avery Anderson, yeah, who was brought in for his defense, right? And so this is this is a guy who prides himself on being a great defender and, and Posey took him to the rim and got a bucket and a foul. Um, on the other side, uh, I believe he got up and he rejected yep. Avery Anderson. Um, and it was not just your average, oh, a guard got a blocked shot. Wow, that's impressive. This was a rim-running kind of play where Anderson leapt up, got the ball up, and then Posey came out of nowhere to swat this ball off the backboard, got a huge uh, kind of whoop from the folks that were in the building watching practice. The team that was – like guys that were on the sideline for the drill were uh, hyped for yeah. Posey um, and and running their mouth at Anderson a little bit as well um, afterwards. And so this is a kid who I think has the coaches um, – 
wondering how they can get him some minutes, especially early in the season in non-conference to see what he's got when he's on the court in college against another team. What wasn't he the one, I can't remember if it was him or it might've been Jameer that, that put uh, E-Man on the floor with a, with a crossover too. I can't remember who it was. was Uh, It was Posey. It was was Posey. Posey. Yeah. 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 And he put him on the ground. Yeah. Yeah. Isaiah Manning had a moment too, where he, his yeah. hands touched the ground and, and that he got, he got some grief from his teammates for that as well. I think Nelson was the one who crossed him up, but uh, th- look, I we're coming off of a TCU football fall camp, Melissa, where I, I think overestimated some things mm-hmm. about this team because of what we saw in fall camp. And so I'm trying to be more reserved, yeah. trying to temper expectations now, uh, on the heels of that with what TCU basketball is probably capable of this, this season, there's no doubt that, you know, the big 12 gets stronger this year with yeah. Houston coming into the league. Um, and Cincinnati has a history of being a really good basketball program, even though they've been down the last couple of years. And so this is like, this is going to be arguably the biggest gauntlet for any TCU program in conference play this year. And so no game is guaranteed. Yeah. Uh, this team has to stay healthy. Like you said, they've still got to figure out how to stretch the floor a little bit and hit some outside shots. Um, but I have been very impressed so far with the physicality of this team defensively and rebounding, which has been become a staple under Jamie Dixon that they kind of got away from last year. So it's good to see them maybe returning to that a little bit this year. Um, and with the athleticism of the guards, I think that this has the opportunity to be a more varied offense than we've Mm -hmm. seen the last couple of years where at times it felt a lot like, Oh, okay. uh, The offense this time down is going to be Mike miles. Go get us a bucket yeah, or Damian ball. Go get us a bucket. I think there are more opportunities for different guys to get involved in the offense this year. We haven't even mentioned Mike Peavy yet. Yeah. He looked just who looks really, really good. It looks like he has improved again off of what was an improvement offensively last year. So how that all bears out on the court, we're yet to see it. We saw it a little bit in, on, on the Europe trip, but that was against competition that was far lesser than what they're going to be seeing even in non-conference play. So I'm excited to see what this team has when they get out on the court and excited to see how they continue to build this offseason. I'll say it this way. I think that this CCU team has a chance to be really, really good, and I'll still be ecstatic if they go 500 in Big 12 play. Oh, for sure. Right. Yeah. Like, I think that I think that this this is a team that and again, because of the scheduling um, that, that that 500 mark has got to be kind of the the bench water mark for this squad. If they go 500 conference play, they're definitely an NCAA team, like no mm-hmm. question in my mind. Um, they could probably even go a game under 500 and still make the tournament. Right. But that's where they need to be. Uh, the town is there. The half car offense is always going to concern me under Jamie Dixon, based on what we've seen uh, yeah. with recruiting and but defensively, the length, the ability to play in transition. And we haven't even talked about what they did at the center position. Um, you're not going to have to see Jacoby Coles and Xavier Cork play a lot of center this year with Mustafa and um, Uday. Like both of those guys, just just big athletic guys that can, you know, semi-consistently hit the 12-footer, mm-hmm. which is all you really need them to be able to do. But just aggressive on the rebounding. Um, this, this has a chance to be a very complete basketball team, but it's still every single day is going to be a grind once you get to conference play. And so they've got to fatten up in the preseason. Um, and then they've just got to aim for, you know, 500 basketball once they get into league play. I think that that would be a huge victory for this group. And, and but the thing I will say is if this team gets to the tournament, this is a team that could be a sweet 16 team. They have the pieces 
to win games in the postseason. And that's really what's been missing, you know, the last couple of years under Jamie Dixon based on what they've been able to compile as a roster. Yeah. I mean, we saw last year, they got hot from three at the right time. Coles and Chuck started hitting threes to go with what Mike and, and Damian Ball kind of contributed from the perimeter. Um, what they were lacking was Eddie Lampkin, right? Yeah. When Lampkin left the program, he left a seven foot void in the center yeah. of that offense that, uh, you know, Gonzaga was capable of taking advantage of Arizona state in the first round was pretty capable yeah. of taking advantage of that as well. But the frogs managed to get a bucket late from Jacoby to, to steal that game. Um, as long as guys stay healthy, interior defense won't be nearly as big of a question mark this year as it was last year. Yeah. Um, now, how do we figure out what, what a rotation looks like between some of these guys? How consistent can Uday play? Cause he's going to get a ton more minutes than he's ever gotten in college. Mustafa was a, a you know 30 game starter for Coastal Carolina last year. What's what does his role look like compared to Uday's? You know, there's a lot to sort out for this coaching staff, but it feels like at this point the things that they are sorting out are to the positive rather than, oh my gosh, we have to find a way to fill this hole over here or uh, account for this weakness over here. It feels more like, hey, how are we going to make sure that all of our strengths get their shine? Yeah, it's going to be, I think they're going to be a lot of fun to watch. Uh, they'll be entertaining and hopefully not not quite as frustrating as, as this team was that they dealt, like as far as the injuries and trying to figure out what could work. Um, there's a lot, it seems like there's a lot of leadership on this group too. You can tell Jamie mm -hmm. Dixon was really enjoying coaching this group of guys. Uh, getting Emmanuel Miller back cannot be overstated how important that is, not just for on the court, but um, when, you, when you talk about how to build a team the right way, like that's the guy you wanted the centerpiece of it um, from just a basketball standpoint, but also just from a person kind of standpoint. I know we yeah. both think just super, super highly of that kid and I'm mm -hmm. um, excited to see what he does this year. Absolutely. Very excited to see what E-Man does. He's got to take a big step forward, right? We've yeah. talked a little bit this offseason about where where the areas are for improvement in his game. And, and he's got to take that big step forward if he wants to, to accomplish some of the things he's setting out to accomplish this year. Um, is he capable of doing that? Absolutely. Does he have the supporting cast around him to, to empower him to do some of that stuff? Yeah, I think he, I think he definitely does. Uh, it's a matter of, of putting your head down and getting back to work for another year of college basketball um, to, to have a shot at, at doing what you want to do in the future. So, yeah. you know, holding out hope for E-Man that, he, that he's, that he's going to achieve what he got to see his little brother do. Yeah. This past offseason, which he and I had a chance to chat about earlier this summer, and and he was just so excited for Leonard to to get drafted and to hear his name called that day and to walk up on that stage and throw the hat on and shake the commissioner's hand and do all the kind of stuff that you get to do. Cool. Um, it was a cool big brother moment, I think, for Emmanuel Miller. And now, now he, he got, wants he, it. Now he he got there. He watched the draft happen, and now now he's his goal is is for that to be him next year. So hopefully, big things ahead for Eman. But Melissa, as we kind of wrap up, uh, I just want to make a quick note uh, about baseball because they did have a big weekend as well. They hosted 19 recruits on campus this weekend, uh, a good handful who are already committed for the 2025 class, um, but some big name kids in the 24 and 25 classes that are uncommitted who made their way to Fort Worth, caught, uh, caught a TCU practice, um, got a campus tour, met with the coaches, uh, and then took in that TCU Colorado football game. On Saturday, I had a chance to talk to, to a good number of those kids um, to check in about how their weekends went. All that content will be up at hornfrogblitz.com here in the coming days. Um, so keep an eye out for all of that. Melissa, I know you've got a ton of stuff going on over at Frogs Insider Patreon as well. 
patreon.com slash frogs insider. Uh, yeah, we're back. We're back up and rolling. I'm, I'm writing again. Um, so pretty excited about uh, having that going, have my uh, little Monday morning quarterback up today as well. And we'll be continuing to write. I'll have some thoughts later this week, kind of looking back and looking ahead. Um, also got a chance to to chat with Brett Yormark a little bit uh, pregame. And so um, not, not this week, but in the coming weeks, he's, he's got some, some stuff uh, that he's going to be talking about with a new uh, little mission that the big 12 has taken on. So excited to, to be able to kind of break, uh, get that news out when it comes out. I don't think I'll get to break it. I don't think I'm that important, but, mm-hmm. um, but, but, but he, he promised me I'd, I'd get to be one of the first to know because I have a special connection to this, uh, this big news coming up. So it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool stuff. Very excited for that to, to get out and into the ether here in the coming weeks and, and excited to see, uh, how how people respond to what the Big Twelve has planned? It's it's going to be pretty cool, I think. Yeah, um, yeah. But I think that's going to do it for this episode of Frogs Insider. We'll be back later this week to preview TCU's game against Nichols. Um, yeah, if we can find anybody that covers Nichols, that's we'll what find a way. You know somebody? Yeah, I got. I got. We'll I find a way. People. We'll figure it out. We'll find a way to preview Nichols. They do have a former Horn Frog on their roster that we're going to want to talk about a little bit. Um, I'll do another mailbag this week as well, so look for that tweet. To, to get some questions out. If you're a member of the board, I'll throw another thread up there so you can ask some questions and get some mailbag stuff going on. Um, but yeah, you can look for that episode coming up later this week. Melissa, anything else? Uh, Truby's first game, first game Tuesday. First All game right. Tuesday. So, uh, you know, flag football season has officially begun for me. So, you know, if TCU, TCU cannot get it done on the field. Don't worry. Hopefully St. Francis will for you guys. This, so. will, this will just become a St. Francis Truby's podcast yes. here yes. in the near future. Whatever, We're get that. whatever it takes. Get all the advanced analytics from from hopefully a, a Truby's win on Tuesday yeah, as well. Yeah. I um, guarantee we'll be ready to play emotionally. I guarantee you there that. There you one. go. You're, they're going to be fired <laughs> up. They're going to be fired up. So from Melissa Treewasser, I'm Jamie Plunkett. This has been the Frogs Insider Podcast. Be sure that you like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Hit subscribe on that YouTube channel as well, where we've got so much content. We've got all the press conferences player interviews, all this other stuff going on up there. Uh, So make sure you hit the subscribe button on the YouTube channel. Leave us a rating and review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or wherever you get your shows so that we can continue to put the good word out to all the TCU fans who want to hear this content. Until next time, go Frogs. Go Frogs.